You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eight years ago this month, NBA legend LeBron James announced that he was returning to play for his hometown team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, citing that his relationship with Northeast Ohio was bigger than basketball. And when he announced his return, he made a promise. He promised them that he would help Cleveland to win their first championship in 50 years. That's right. He said, when I left Cleveland for Miami, I was on a mission. I was seeking championships and we won two. But now his intention was to do something for his own people. Miami, he said, already knew what it was like to win a championship, but Cleveland hadn't felt that feeling in a long, long, long time. And so he made a promise that he was going to bring a trophy back to Northeast Ohio. Incidentally, LeBron had been drafted all the way back in 2003 on that same promise, the promise that he would bring a championship to Cleveland. And for seven years, they waited. And for seven years, they were disappointed. They believed that it would happen, but it didn't. They looked at the talent of LeBron and they thought, you know, look at the power of this man, surely a person with such ability will bring a championship with such power will produce this promise. But then he left. He left. He went to Miami. And for the people of Northeast Ohio, their hopes were dashed until he came back. And the promise was renewed and his power that he'd had before he still had and the dominance that he had before he still had and their faith in his power produced a faith in his promise once again and with the promise intact the people of Cleveland watched with anticipation the whole 2015 season I'm sure you remember and with anticipation and excitement the Cavaliers take on the Golden State Warriors in the finals that year and excitement grew as Cleveland took the lead in the series in game three, but then three losses in a row and they returned to waiting again. But the people of Cleveland, they persisted in their faith and the next year, once again, they made the finals and but once again, It seemed like all their hopes would be dashed. They were down three to one in the final round. No team had ever returned from such a deficit, but they still persisted in their faith. They had faith in the power of LeBron and that brought them faith in the promise that he had made. And it was then that LeBron led his team to victory, becoming the first team to ever overcome such odds to win an NBA title. And the people of Northeast Ohio were overwhelmed 
with joy and celebration. Their persistent faith had finally paid off. They had received the reward that they had long hoped for. Well, LeBron makes a good analogy, perhaps, but we didn't come here to talk about basketball. (laughs) We're here to talk about someone who has never broken a promise. Incidentally, when LeBron went to Miami, he promised them more than seven championships, and he didn't even stay for seven years. LeBron breaks his promises, but God never does. We're here to talk about someone who has never lost a battle. Someone who has never been sidelined by an injury and let the team down. We're here to talk about the power and the promises of God. Last week, last week we began to talk about those promises that God had given to a man named Abram. And this week, we're going to continue to walk through that story of Abram's trusting in God. And while Abram, again, is not the perfect example of faith His story does show us something about what our own faith ought to look like. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see in this story that the persistent, patient faith in the power of God produces a persistent, patient faith in the promises of God. We're going to look at several places in Scripture throughout the book of Genesis this morning. You may remember, right, we're in the middle of this series through the book of Genesis, and we're seeing God's persistent faithfulness over and over again throughout this book. We see his hand preserving a people for himself. Our time last week, we, we saw God call Abram to to follow him. He says, come and follow me. I'll show you where you're going to go. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, this week, we're going to see that promise confirmed again, but also questioned as we see the interactions between God and Abraham take place over the course of these 25 years. We're going to cover 25 years of God's relationship with Abraham today. I want to start by reading from Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. Um, I hope you're able to follow along. If you have a Bible with you, you can find that, if you picked up one of these anyways, you can find that first um, passage we're going to read on page 13, Genesis 17, 1 to 8. But we're going to be jumping around a bit, so you can kind of keep your finger there and follow along. Here's what Genesis 17, 1 to 8 says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God, all through scripture, is making the same threefold promise over and over and over again. He promises to make for himself a people and to give that people a place and then to provide for them the presence of God. People, place, presence. That's the threefold promise of God. We see it right here in Genesis 17, right? All this talk about nations coming out of Abraham, of his offspring coming after him, the promise of fruitfulness. I want to make you exceedingly fruitful. God says, God's saying, I'm going to make you a people. And then here in, in our last verse, he says, and I'm going to give you and your offspring. That is, I'm going to give to this people, this place, the land of your sojournings. That's going to be your place. The whole land of Canaan is going to be given over to you. And then at the very end of this, he says, and I will be their God. That is, my presence will dwell with them. People, place, presence. That is the promise of God. And this promise, it's being reiterated right here in Genesis 17, actually for the third time. The first time we heard it was in Genesis 12, which we talked about last week. And in terms of time, 24 years have passed. And not only is Abraham not a huge nation yet, but he's 99 years old and hasn't even had the son of the promise yet. Not only does Abraham not possess the land of his sojournings, he literally owns no property at all and won't own any property for many more years. And when he does, it'll just be a small plot of land, enough room for him to bury his wife. The only promise that seems to have come true so far is that God is with him. God has provided his presence for him. As this very first verse reads, right? This very first verse tells us that this isn't just any God that's talking here. The God who's with him isn't just any God. The God who's with him is God Almighty. He is the all-powerful, all-sovereign, reigning creator and sustainer of the universe. And in the next chapter, this God Almighty is going to ask this question. He's going to say, is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, the answer is no. Nothing is too hard for our Lord, right? All over scripture, we're seeing this one truth proclaimed. Particularly, I love this verse in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, 17, it connects it with creation. And it says this, oh, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Right, and that really is, the, it's the linchpin of our faith in the promises of God. We believe the promises of God because we believe the power of God. Patient persistent faith in the power of God produces a patient, persistent faith in the promises of God. Right? When we question God's promises, we ultimately question his power. 
And if we question his power, we're really saying he's not really God. He's not really God. Right, but patient, persistent faith in the power of God produces patient, persistent faith in the promises of God. And this is the question facing Abraham as he's forced to, well, patiently and persistently wait on God to fulfill his promises. 24 years so far. And if, if anything, the promises just become progressively more and more unreasonable. And for one thing, the promise was given to him when he was 75 years old and he was married to a woman who was 65 years old and God said, she's going to have a child. That's slightly unreasonable. It's 24 more years down the road now. Now we're talking about a 99-year-old man and an 89-year-old woman and God says, you're going to conceive. But if God's power is really trustworthy, that his promises are as well. But seeing that God's promise of his presence is already coming true, let me just walk us through one of these other promises, just like Abram did. It comes in chapter 12, but then forcefully it comes in chapter 15. So I want us to, to see it there. Let me just show you what God says about his promise to make him into a people. He promises this in chapter 15. Look at Genesis 15, 1 to six. It says, and after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And so it starts off, the first thing it says is after these things. So just for clarity, let me tell you what's happened in chapter 14. In chapter 14, Abram, in the power of God, has rescued his nephew Lot, along with the fortunes of five cities that have been captured by these larger empires. And Abram leads his own little household troop out and they rescue them back. It's a spectacular show of God's power, of God's salvation. And in the end of that whole thing, all of these kings that he's just saved, they try to give over to Abraham from their fortunes. You saved our fortunes, now you take it, take the spoils. But Abram says, not a chance, not a chance. He responds in this way. He says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And so now we, we turn the page Abram has said, I don't want spoils of man. And we turn the page and God says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. 
Abram has scorned the spoils of war, but he will receive the blessing of the Lord. But Abram's not particularly interested in financial gain. None of that means anything to him. If he doesn't have a child that he can pass it along to. And so he confronts God with this reality. And God says, listen, not only will you have a child, but I'm going to give you a huge family. Count the stars. Right in chapter 12, he said, count the sand. And now he says, count the stars. I'm going to give you a huge family. I'm going to make you a people. Right? And, and in that moment, perhaps perhaps reeling from the power of God shown in this military victory. In that moment, Abram, in recognition of the power of God, believed in the promise of God. And we're told that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. But you know how it is. Sometimes it's, we believe God, but we think maybe he's going to need our help. Right? We believe him. But also, maybe we should jump into the game as well. It's exactly what happens here. As they wait a little longer, Abram and his wife Sarai start talking. And then here's what happens in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, who had borne him no children, she had a, a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said, to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that you should obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. At this point, right, they're thinking, we, we know what's up, God. You said it was going to be Abram's child. You didn't say anything about it being Sarah's child. So we'll work around this for you, God. We got your back. So he goes in to Hagar. And sure enough, she gets pregnant. And, and it causes, frankly, if you read the whole story, all sorts of problems, right? But not getting into all of that, here's what we need to know, that God didn't need, God didn't need Abram and Sarai's brilliant help. He didn't need it. In fact, in fact, when God is talking to Abram again in chapter 17, he says, I'm sorry, let me just make myself clear because apparently I wasn't clear last time. I know you've been waiting for 24 years for me to fulfill this promise. And I know that that has caused you some doubt along the way. And I know that perhaps now you don't think that I can actually do it, but I didn't need your help. I didn't need your help. I, by my power, will bring about my promise in my way. And if we have persistent and patient faith in the power of God, it's going to produce in us a patient, persistent faith in the promises of God. And so then he says, hey, I'm God Almighty, right? That's the beginning of chapter 17. And then he reiterates the promise later in the chapter, verses 15 to 19. And God says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Let me be clear, that's what I meant all along. I'll give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations. 
Kings of people shall come from her. And Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That's his son with Hagar, Ishmael. Abraham's like, listen, God, no, we worked it out, God. You don't have to worry about it. I got a son. His name's Ishmael. Just do that one. Just go with my plan. And God says in verse 19, no. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Abraham laughs at God because his promise is so extreme, it is unbelievable. And when the promise is reiterated in the hearing of Sarah in chapter 18, she laughs too. Here's what it says. It says, now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, and my Lord, Abraham, my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? <laughs> no. But remember, the question is not the reasonableness of the promise or the feasibility of the promise. The question really is, does God have the power to fulfill the promise? That's the question. And if he does, our belief in his power will produce a belief in his promise. And, and so just to finish out the story, here's what we see in Genesis 21. Genesis 21, one to three says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Is anything too hard for our God? No, not, not a thing. But his promises require patience and persistence in our faith, right? We've gotten so used to sort of instant gratification in our world that we are unable to patiently wait for the Lord. Yes, God will remove your shame. But that doesn't mean you're going to feel that way immediately. Yes, God will, he promises to free you from your sin, but he does it as you trust him continually when you face temptation. Right? Yes, God promised to provide for all your needs, but we must patiently wait for his provision. And the problem is that a credit card, on the other hand, lets me provide for all of my needs today and pay for them all tomorrow. Right? Yes, God promises to be a true and lasting companion. Indeed, he promises that he will never leave you. But sometimes, sometimes it's hard to take the time to quiet myself before God 
and to actually enjoy his presence. But hey, there's an app on your phone that will give you any type of companionship you want at just the tap of a screen. You can find companionship online. You can buy stuff on credit. You can do all sorts of things that make you not have to trust in God or you can wait on the Lord. And here's what Isaiah says, the prophet Isaiah says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will renew their strength. Patient, persistent faith in the power of God produces a patient, persistent faith in the promises of God. So if you find yourself doubting God's promises, I would encourage you to think about God's power. Can he do what he promised? If so, he surely will do it. He will do it. There's nothing that he cannot do. But we have received the promises by faith. The promises of God are not dependent on us, but our receiving them is. The promises of God, let me say that again. The promises of God are not dependent on us, but us receiving them is. God will always do what he says. The question is, will I be in position to receive what he has promised? All right, so look back at those verses we read at the very beginning, Genesis 17, one and two, it says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that... I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. David Kidner says this. He says, this opening is no bargain. These are the conditions in which God can give rather than get all that he desires. How is it that, that God is able to give us his promises? How is it that that happens when we're walking before him, this is what it says, when we're walking before him blamelessly, that's when God is able to give us his promises. Now, that sounds like a lot to ask, right? I have to walk before him blamelessly? That's a, that's a lot to ask. So how is it that I walk before God blamelessly? Well, chapter 15 told us. Chapter 15 says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, as blamelessness. Our blamelessness before God comes from our faith in God. God says, in essence, walk before me in faith. Walk before me believing that I am who I said that I am and I will do what I have promised to do. Walk before me in faith and you will receive all of the covenant promises of God. When, when Abram didn't walk before God, he received Ishmael, not Isaac. When Adam and Eve didn't walk by faith, but instead they tried to become gods themselves, they were ousted from the garden. When the children of Israel didn't have faith in God as they came to the Jordan River to take over the promised land, they didn't believe God. They didn't walk before him by faith. And do you know what happened? They all died in the wilderness. 
It's not that God didn't keep his promise. He just kept it to the next generation. Walk before him by faith that you might be in position to receive the promises of God. In all of these situations, the problem is that they didn't believe God's promises because they didn't trust God's power. Patient, persistent faith in the power of God produces patient, persistent faith in the promises of God. So think about what that might mean then for us as, as a church. God has given us a vision God has given us as a church a vision of, of a diverse people from all across the College Creek Corridor gathered together to worship him. A, a vision that people would be set free from, from fear and shame and sickness and pain and most of all from sin, so much so that the College Creek Corridor would not be a place of chaos and death, but one of life and flourishing. And we pray that his vision would come. And we patiently and we persistently believe in his power. And we trust that if it's his vision, that he will bring it about. But think about what that means in your own life as well. What are the promises of God in your life? I mean, there are so so many. Here's, here's a few. He promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that life with him is more fulfilling and joyful and even adventurous than anything that this world has to offer. He promises that no temptation will ever come upon you that doesn't have a way of escape. He promises that if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. He promises that all who trust in Christ will not perish, but have eternal life. He promises that he will go with us in the work of evangelism and not only go with us, but he in fact will provide the words for us so that we can declare the gospel. And he promises that all who come to him will find rest and peace in him. He promises that his kingdom will be established and that his kingdom will never be shaken. In, in other words, perhaps another way to put it is that God's promises are this. He's going to make you into his people and he's going to give you a place where his presence will dwell with you forever. That is an eternal reality for all who would trust in him. That's the promise. That's the promise that we see here to Abraham at the very first book of the Bible. And it's the promise that we see at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation as well. Let me just remind you what Revelation 21 says. This is the promise to God for all his people. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the, the sea was no more. And I saw the, the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Did you hear it? That is the glorious promise of God to his people that this glorious place, the new Jerusalem is coming for us where we, his people will dwell with him forever. That's the promise. That's the promise that we're waiting for. And if it sounds too good to be true, that means it's true. Because that's who our God is. That's the sort of thing that God does. And if it sounds like you might be waiting a while, let me just encourage you with this, that patient persistent faith in the power of God will produce in you a patient, persistent faith in his promises as well. So place your faith in in him and you will receive all that he has promised, all of it. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your promises, but more than that, thank you that you're a God who keeps his promises, that you will never let us down, that you will never disappoint. And if we're disappointed in you, it's because we have expectations that are not of you. And so Lord, we pray that you would clarify our expectations by your word. Lord, what is the greatest thing we could hope for, it's that we would be with you in your presence. And that is the very promise that you give us. And so Lord, we pray that you would, in each of our lives, begin fulfilling that promise more and more each day, that we would feel and experience our communion with you. That as we know you more, we might trust your promises more as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.